Good morning, everybody, and thank you so much for joining me for today's worship service from First Baptist Church here in Rock Hill. You know, there are a lot of hymns that have been written over the years about the blood of Jesus Christ, and today we're going to talk about His blood and how His sacrifice is what you and I need to have a relationship with God. So if you have your Bible, turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus uh, chapter 11. I have a younger cousin whose name is Holbert, and I, I remember when he was in high school one day, he had a, had a really bad accident. His arm was thrust through a window, and one of his arteries were cut, and he was bleeding uh, badly, and there just happened to be a classmate, a student there, whose dad, as I recall, was in the medical profession, so he knew what to do, reacted quickly, put pressure and slowed down the bleeding. Holbert was taken to the local hospital and stabilized, then transported a few hours to a big hospital in Louisville, Kentucky, where they did surgery and saved his arm. But it was that student, that classmate, if you will, that saved his life that day. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but our body, not only is it amazing, but there are more than 60,000 miles of arteries and veins and capillaries in our body, and it only takes the heart about 60 seconds, about one minute, to pump all the blood through all the parts of our body, and it return back to our body. Our blood is what keeps us alive. I guess you could say that, that blood is like a river of life to the human body. 1,500 years before Jesus Christ lived on this earth, in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, the Bible says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. That, that blood is the source of life, so to speak. And in the Bible we know, and in life we know, that blood plays an important part in living here on earth for a few decades. But in Scripture we also discover that blood is important to our spiritual life. It is important to eternity, and it's Jesus' blood. Now, to help you better understand Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and what that does for you and me when we place our faith in him, we're going to look at a story in the book of Exodus, chapter 11 and chapter 12. Just to set the table while you're turning there, I want to remind you that uh, we saw in the last two weeks God sent Moses to Egypt to lead the Hebrew people to freedom because they had spent uh, a few centuries as slaves in Egypt and God was going to rescue them. He was going to deliver them. And so he sends Moses to bring them to freedom in the promised land. But the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was very stubborn, would not let them go. In fact, God said he will only do it under compulsion. So to humble the Pharaoh and force him to let God's people be free to do what was right, God sent plagues upon Egypt. Last Sunday in a sermon on the judgment of God, we looked at nine of those plagues. Today we're going to look at the tenth plague and help us understand better Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' blood, Jesus' cross, and what that means for us. So if you have your Bible, follow with me as we read together in Exodus chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague, so it's the last one, it's the tenth one, I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Not only will he free the people, he's going to be so anxious to be rid of you, he's going to enthusiastically drive you out because he's had enough of my judgment, enough of the plagues. Then you drop down in chapter 11 to verse 4. Moses said, so he gets the people together, the leaders of Israel, if you will. And Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I am going to send into the midst of Egypt 
and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. Uh, he tells us a little bit more about that later in chapter 12. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible a page or so and come over to chapter 12, look with me at verse 21. We'll get a little more detail. Then Moses called for all the elders, the leaders of Israel, and he said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. Verse 22. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin. So they were to kill the lamb, drain the blood, and they were then to take that 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 uh, brush, if you will, that uh, that that weed and dip it into the blood. And then he says in the middle of verse 22, apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel, the, the part above your door, and to the doorpost, the two sides of the door. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. So remember, he'd already said about midnight, I'm going to send the death angel into Egypt, and the firstborn son of every Egyptian will die. But all of you Hebrews are to take that blood and put it on your doors and stay in your house all night and you will be safe. And then in verse 23 he continues, For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer, that death angel, to come into your houses to smite you. So it's a pretty you know, pretty graphic description. It's a, you know, it's it's, it's a, a, a frightening scene, if you will. And when you drop down in chapter 12 to verse 28, the Bible says, Then the sons of Israel, the Hebrews, he says, they went out and did so. They did exactly what Moses had told them to do. And, and, uh, and in verse 29, now it came about at midnight. Now listen to this. That the Lord struck all the firstborn of the land, all the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, the king, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captives who was in the dungeon. So the prisoners, it didn't matter who they were, if they were not in a house with the blood of a sacrificed lamb around the door of the house in which they were living, then the firstborn son in that family died. And then in verse 30, the Bible says, Pharaoh arose, he got out of bed in the night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry. There was weeping and wailing, if you will, a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. Again, a terrible, terrible night for the Egyptian people. But it's a night, it's an experience, it's an event that the Jewish people to this very day celebrate annually with a festival, with a holiday known as Passover. Because they are remembering what God did to deliver them from slavery in Egypt. They are celebrating the freedom their ancestors received at the mighty hand of God. Now, sometimes critics will look at that story and say, it's horrible that God would do that. Why would God allow such a thing to happen? But I would ask you to remember that, that these Hebrews that God was freeing were slaves, Subject to all the cruelty of slavery in its, in its vilest form as you can imagine. And, and part of uh, what the Pharaoh, the Egyptian government, had done to the Hebrews at one moment in time was infanticide. They had taken the, 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 every male, every boy baby born into Hebrew families and thrown them into the Nile River to drown or be eaten by crocodiles. You talk about cruelty. And in one sense, their cruelty was now coming back on them. Remember that Pharaoh, that Pharaoh was very stubborn. 
And through Moses, God had said to him, do the right thing. Do the just thing. Free my people. Let them go. He'd been asked many times to do that. And every time he became more stubborn, his heart became more closed and hardened. And he said no and would not do what was right. God sent nine plagues each one getting worse than the other, and he, and he just became more stubborn. And finally, God said, I've got to bring this man to his knees. I've got to bring this government and this country to their knees so that they will do what is right. You know, America lost a lot of lives and suffered a lot of grief in a war so that we would end slavery. Sometimes it takes terrible tragedy to get people to do what is the right thing. And even after Pharaoh freed them, after this terrible night, when all of these, these, these firstborn children died, and he freed the Hebrew people, he changed his mind. You talk about a stubborn, evil, cruel dictator. He changed his mind once again and chased after, went after the Hebrews who were now leaving Egypt on their way to the Promised Land, caught up with them at the Red Sea. And you, many of you know the story. God parted the sea and the Hebrew children walked across on dry land to safety on the other side. And Pharaoh, rather than letting them go, ordered his army to chase them right through the sea. And as they were doing so, the waters closed in and his army was drowned. You need to understand, all of us need to understand that freedom is not free. There have been countless wars and countless lives given Wars fought and lives sacrificed to overcome the evil of tyrants and communism and socialism so that people can be free. The truth is those in power seldom give people freedom of their own initiative. It has to be taken, and it comes with a price. My dad named me after his favorite uncle, Steve. I never met him because he died before I was born. Steve fought. For America in World War II. He was part of Patton, General Patton's Third Army fighting in Germany and, and, and putting down a dictator that, that, that murdered millions and millions of people. Freedom is never free. People have died so you and I can be free in America to do what we are doing this very moment. People died so that the Hebrew slaves could be free. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The same thing is true in your spiritual life. If freedom comes with a price when it comes to our physical life on earth, freedom, freedom also comes with a price when it comes to our spiritual life and our eternity. And the next thing, the same thing, the same principle is true in our spiritual life. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. John the Baptist, a great prophet who preceded Jesus one day, was looking and saw Jesus walking toward him. And he pointed to Jesus and, and, and said so others could hear him, Behold, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the book of Revelation, those who are in heaven gathered around the throne of God are pictured as having fallen on their face before the throne and worshiping, listen, worshiping the Lamb of God. Jesus is pictured as the Lamb of God, just like those Jews in Egypt all those years ago sacrificed a lamb and put that blood around their door so they could be saved as, as part of what God was doing to deliver them. Jesus, Jesus is the lamb of God who frees us, who delivers us. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said that Christ is our Passover and he's already been sacrificed. He was sacrificed for us as a Passover just like that lamb was for the Jewish people those days long ago in Egypt. Christians all over the world regularly observe the, the Lord's Supper or Communion. And some of you will remember that the Jews, when they celebrate uh, the, the holiday of, of Passover, have a meal. And there are different components, different, different food items that are part of that meal. There is wine. There is flat bread, unleavened bread. It's flat. There's bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. And Jesus, the night before he was crucified, gathered with his disciples, and they observed the, the, the Passover, the Jewish Passover. And then he gave them a new meal, a new celebration to remember him. We call it the Lord's Supper. And there is wine, a symbol of his blood. Just like the lamb bled in Egypt, Jesus would bleed on the cross, and the blood is a picture of that. The wine is a picture of that. And he gave them bread to eat. We break bread and eat it when we do the Lord's Supper. A picture of the body of Jesus that just like that lamb was slain years ago, Jesus' body was sacrificed and died on the cross. And that Lord's Supper is to remind us of the bitterness of our sin, the bitterness of separation from God, the bitterness of lostness, the bitterness of our spiritual death and spiritual judgment, but the joy we have because Jesus, our Lamb, died on the cross so we could be free and be healed. You and I cannot do that for ourselves. Just like the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, we are slaves. We are slaves to sin, slaves to the death, to death, slaves to the grave. We, we, we are slaves to Satan, and we can't, we can't fix it. We can't deliver ourselves. We can't free ourselves. The Hebrews could not free themselves, but God freed them. And in the same way, Jesus, our Lamb, our Passover and his death through his blood can free us from all of those things. Real quickly, let me just remind you of some of the blessings of Jesus' blood, some of the benefits that come with Jesus' sacrifice that, that he made for us because he loves us so much. One is Jesus' blood frees us from our sin. Uh, the, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, a man named John, in one of his letters is in the New Testament as the book of 1 John, he said this, the blood of Jesus, his son, the blood of Jesus, the father's son, cleanses us from all sin. And you need to remember that God tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a man or a woman listening to me right now who has not sinned. I've sinned and you have sinned. And the Bible says there's consequences for that. In Romans 6.23, the Bible says the wages, the paycheck of our sin is death, physical death, spiritual death, separation from God, and eternal death, separation from God forever, not in heaven but in hell, a place of suffering. And it's only the blood of Jesus that makes it possible for our sin to be forgiven, our sin to be cleansed so that we don't have to pay that paycheck, that penalty, if you will. Jesus' blood frees us from our sin when we place our faith in him. Secondly, Jesus' blood, listen to this, allows God's righteous judgment, God's righteous judgment to pass over us on the judgment day. All those centuries ago in Egypt, the Hebrews placed the blood of that sacrificed lamb above and on the sides of their door. And when the death angel came through after midnight, he would see that blood and keep going. And the Bible tells us that you and I 
are going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment and give an account for our lives, for our faith or our absence of faith, for our belief or our refusal to believe, for our commitment to him or our unwillingness to be committed to him. And he's going to judge us. He's going to judge us for our sin. He's going to judge us for our faith and so on. And we deserve that judgment. But because of Christ, if we are in a relationship with him, that righteous judgment of God passes over us and we're not, we're not held accountable because when he looks at us, rather than seeing our sin, he sees the blood of Jesus. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 verse 9 said, having now been justified by his blood, that means made right with God in the courtroom of heaven. By his blood, by the blood of Jesus, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. Shall be saved from the wrath of God. How glorious that is through him, through Jesus, and through his blood, through our Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a third benefit, a third blessing that we have because of the blood of Jesus and his loving sacrifice for us on the cross when we place our faith in him. It means that we can know God. You see, there are people who believe there is a God. They may think some things about God, but do not know God in a personal relationship, in an intimate relationship, a relationship that is real because sin separates us from God. Unbelief separates us from God. It builds a wall, if you will, between us, creates a barrier between us and our Creator. But Jesus' disciple Peter in his book, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, says that Christ also died for sins. He died for our sin once for all. He died one time for everyone, not just for some, but for everyone, the just for the unjust, Jesus who was just, who was pure, who was righteous, who had never sinned, never done anything wrong, died for the unjust, for me and for you. I'm a sinner. You are a sinner. We're unjust. We're not right with God because of our sin. But Jesus in love took upon himself the, the, the initiative to die on the cross for us. And notice that it says so that here's the reason. Here's the reason so that he might bring us to God. That sin, yes, separates us, but God doesn't want that. And so he gave his son to die on the cross, and his blood breaks down that wall, knocks down that barrier, and brings us into relationship with God, brings us into fellowship with the one who created us and the one who loves us and the one who will judge us. His blood means we can know him and his wrath, his judgment just passes right over us because we are in his family then and our sins are forgiven. But there's more. Here's another benefit. Here's another blessing that we have from the blood, the sacrifice of Jesus when we place our faith in him. And it's that it makes us all one family. Whatever our background, whatever our status, it makes us one big, beautiful family. And the book of Revelation in the book of Revelation in chapter 5, heaven is singing a song of praise, a song of worship to the Lamb of God. They're singing it to Jesus Christ. And part of that hymn, part of that heavenly song to Jesus says this, you were slain, referring to his crucifixion, you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men, women, boys, and girls, if you will, from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every uh, nation. We all become part of the family of God the same way. It's through our faith in the crucified Christ 
It's through our commitment to the Lamb of God who shed his blood that we could be cleansed and we could be forgiven. Our faith in him makes us one. And nobody, listen, nobody comes to God any in a different way. No one, no one comes to God through their own path. We all come the same way. Our faith in the crucified Jesus Christ, and that makes us one big family. And then finally, one last benefit. One last blessing that comes to us when we place our faith in Jesus. One benefit that comes to us because of his blood and sacrifice on the cross. And it's, I, I just want to say freedom. It's freedom. Freedom from slavery. You see, you and I have enemies. And, and, and sometimes you don't think about it. I mean, most of us know that death is an enemy. We hate death. We hate death. We've, we've all experienced the sadness, the sorrow, the heartbreak of losing loved ones. We know that death is an enemy. We know that the graveyard is an enemy. But the Bible also says sin is your enemy. And you have a spiritual enemy, a powerful enemy called Satan. And the Bible says without, without knowing it or not, you are a slave to all of those things apart from Christ. Just like the Hebrew children were slaves in Egypt, you are slaves to sin. You're a slave to Satan. You're a slave to death. You're a slave to Christ if you don't have the blood of Jesus Christ in your life making atonement for you and for your sin. In the book of 1 Peter in our New Testament, one of Jesus' disciples, a man named Peter, wrote this. Listen to it in verses 18 and 19. He's talking to some believers, to some Christians. And he says, knowing that you were not redeemed. To redeem means to rescue, to purchase, to buy back, to, to buy freedom, if you will. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things. He's saying, Christian. Those of you who are in Christ, you are not redeemed. Your freedom from slavery, your freedom from sin, your freedom from hell, your freedom from death, your freedom from Satan, you are not redeemed with perishable things, things that don't last like silver and gold. In verse 19, he says, here's what you were redeemed with. Here's what God used to purchase your freedom. Here's what God used to purchase a new home for you. He says in verse 19, it was the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ purchased your freedom from your sin, purchased your freedom from the grave, purchased your freedom from eternal death, purchased your freedom from Satan, purchased your freedom from separation from God so that you could know God, be in a relationship with him, be forgiven. Have the judgment and the wrath of God pass over you because when God looks at you, rather than seeing your sin, he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. That is available to each and every one of you listening to me right now. In the Hebrew story, in the book of Exodus, it was the blood on the door that made a difference. Social status didn't matter. From Pharaoh in the palace to someone in a prison, that they didn't have the blood on the door of the house in which they were residing that night, that horrible night in Egypt all those centuries ago, if they didn't have the blood of, the, of a lamb on their doorpost and over, the, over their door that night, then the firstborn in that home died. Social status and wealth made no difference. And when it comes to God, when it comes to eternity, when it comes to the grave, your social status, your wealth, your accomplishments, your education are absolutely irrelevant. The only thing that will make any difference is the blood of Jesus Christ. 
All those centuries ago down in Egypt, there was no compromise. When the death angel was making his way through the country of Egypt, he would look. If there was blood, he would keep going. If there was not blood, he would stop and there would be death. There's no compromise. You can't, you can't, take your, you can't talk your way out of things on the judgment day. You, can't, you, you won't have an opportunity to negotiate with God. There is no compromise. Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life and that no one would come to the Father except through him. There's no compromise. There's one way, and there's only one way, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ. All those centuries ago in Egypt, they had to choose to sacrifice that lamb. They had to choose to take that brush of hyssop and dip it in the blood. They had to choose to personally paint it on their door, all three sides, the sides, the top, and the other side. They had to make a choice, and so do you. You have to make a choice. You have to choose, are you going to allow the blood of Jesus Christ to be applied to your life? It's the same with us today as it was with them all those centuries ago. I was reflecting on my own spiritual journey, and I, I, I didn't grow up in a religious family. I did not grow up in a family that went to church, didn't know much, much about God, much about Jesus. I believed there was a God. I, I knew there was, had, there was Jesus, and I believed that he was real. We had, we had one Bible in our house that nobody really uh, read, so I didn't know much. I really didn't. I didn't know much about sin. I didn't know much about the cross. I didn't know much about the blood of uh, Jesus. I had to learn about all of that. I had to hear about it. I had to learn about it, and, and, and when I did, I responded. When I learned about it, when I heard about it, I placed my faith in Christ and his blood. His blood cleansed me. His blood saved me. Jesus, Jesus is love made all the difference in my life. I had to make a decision. And it's the same with you. And if you're listening to this message, you're hearing. You're, he you're learning. And you're faced with a choice. Are you going to place the blood around the door of your life? Are you going to allow Jesus and his love and his sacrifice on the cross and his blood to save you and give you freedom? I want you to use your mind, if you will, and travel with me all those centuries ago to Egypt. Go back in the cinema of your imagination and imagine you were there that evening. And someone tells you what Moses had said. Someone tells you that Moses said, kill a lamb and take the blood and, and paint it on the doorpost and paint it on the lintel above your door. And then tonight, stay in your house. Stay in your house and don't you dare go outside, not until the following day. Stay in your house all night. Because sometime after midnight, the death angel is going to pass by. And if he sees the blood on your door, he'll keep going. But if there's no blood, he's coming into your house. And the firstborn in your house will die. And all afternoon you think about what that friend told you. You think about that message. And, and, and you think, maybe I need to do that. You think, you know, as it gets closer to dusk, I, I think I'll do that. But life happens and the day gets busy and you don't ever get around to it. You don't ever do it. You don't sacrifice the lamb. You don't put the door, the blood around your door and you, you go into your house and, and you eat your dinner and, and, and it's, it's dark outside and you go to bed and your family goes to bed and it's midnight. And all of a sudden, the dogs stop barking. In fact, the Exodus tells us that, that that terrible night, it was so, so traumatic that, that even a dog would not bark. But you begin hearing in the distance some people wailing and weeping and crying. 
And all of a sudden, you remember what that friend had told you earlier in the day, but it's too late. It's too late. And you see the death angel entering your home. And your home weeps and wails and cries like the others. And you begin saying to yourself, Erter, why didn't I listen to him? Why did I not listen to her? Why did I not do it? I thought about it. I thought about it. But I just never got around to it. Why? And on the judgment day, when you and I, when all of us, when you stand before God, there are going to be some people, and maybe you'll be one of them, who'll be saying to you on that day, saying to yourself on that day, why? Why didn't I listen to that preacher? Why didn't I listen to the word of God? Why didn't I do what I said I was going to do? Why didn't I take action? Why did, why, why, why did I not do it? Because now, on the judgment day, it's too late. And you will hear God speak to you from the throne of heaven saying, depart from me. I never knew you. And then you spend eternity separated from God in a place of suffering, paying the penalty for your sin because you wouldn't do anything about it because you would not allow the blood of Jesus to free you and to rescue you. Stop thinking about it, my friend. Stop thinking about it and do something about it. Do something about it right now. Commit your life to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. Accept his atonement, his death on the cross as payment for your sin. Ask him to forgive you and to save you and give your life to him right now. Just pray a simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And if I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. I believe you shed your blood for me. Right now, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me, cleanse me, and save me. I commit myself to you. Amen. And then I want you to let one of our pastors here at the church know about your decision. Text the word Jesus to the number on your screen and then follow the prompt. Let us know you've committed your life to Christ so we can be in touch with you and help you in your walk with Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you for being with me today. I'll see you next week.